COVID-19. Oh, we need a vaccine at this moment. It means everything. Please wear your mask and stay six feet back. Total shutdown. COVID-19. Well, the historic episode 50 for two middle-aged men in Cleveland, Ken Dworsnik, Ted Klopp. Ted, we've made it to 50. Can we make it 50 more? That's the question. Uh, well, you know, this is especially significant for me because when you say we've made it to 50 later this year, God willing, I'll make it to 50. Yes, you will, sir. Yeah. There's no so, doubt about that. 50 in more ways than one. But yeah, this has been exciting. And of course, we have a special guest today that we'll talk about and probably talk about some of the memorable things that have happened over these past 50 episodes. I have one quick story. I know we like to tell stories and this yes. actually correlates to one of our Cleveland this week in Cleveland history. So my son has recently started running track. One thing they say is that the only thing that worse that's worse than track at times is field. I wouldn't say it in front of Judd Logan, who's an all American and uh, the head coach <laughs> of Ashton university, but I could say it on this podcast. <laughs> Obviously he knows oh. I'm joking. So my son is running the running long jump and the hundred meter dash. And my parents have gone and my uncle who's Paul Saska, who's 85 years old, was at the meet with me two weeks ago. So we're there and we're hanging out and talking about track. And he just kind of goes into things. And you've been through this before, Ted, where you're with somebody. All of a sudden you start to get all these different stories. It just kind of comes out. You never heard these stories before. So we're sitting here and he went to Benedictine High School and he talks about running track when he was in high school. And one of the meets they had was at East Tech. And he said, wow, it was a really interesting situation because I, I met up with Harrison Dillard. You remember that name, Harrison Dillard, who was the guy who won the 1948 Olympics, won the okay. 100 meter dash and the 110, was considered one of the fastest men at that time. He's from Baldwin Wallace. He was a Buffalo soldier and went to East Tech and all that. So he said, yeah, one of the meets we were there, you know, he kind of came up and talked to a couple of us and he was training at the time. And he's like, hey, you, you guys want to run a race against me? <laughs> and my uncle's like, well, yeah, I'll do that. So he ran the hurdles against my uncle who didn't have hurdles and just ran the hundred. Mm -hmm. And my uncle said he killed him. He says it wasn't <laughs> even close. And he said the guy was so fast. Uh -huh. And I just looked at him. I go, yeah. He goes, yeah, it happened up at East Tech. It was indoors. He goes, yeah, it was just a crazy situation. I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, what a small world. And he just kind of brought it out of nowhere. I yeah. didn't even bring anything up and he just kind of talked about it. But I had to tell that quick story as we kind of correlate back to one of our this week in Cleveland history. Isn't mm -hmm. that funny? Yeah. Awesome. So, so you're fine. Your grand, your, your uncle, not as fast as Harrison Dillard. No, he says he's a little bit slower. Yeah. Okay. No doubt. Yeah. All right. Appreciate you clarifying that. <laughs> <clears throat> well, coming up on our show this week, a home inspector is in trouble for his use of an Elmo doll. That sounds unpleasant and we'll explain in Klopp's clips. We have a Browns memory to talk about for this week in Cleveland history. We have some good news on the coronavirus as well. We have a mystery guest joining us for this special episode 50. And we're going to get in the ring for some WrestleMania talk with Steve Muehlhausen from The Zone. Ted, here's some good news. The CDC has revised its position on the transmission of COVID-19 following results from a study it conducted. Oh. The risk of contracting the virus from touching a contaminated surface is low. The study says the odds are about one in 10,000. The paper concludes most people get COVID-19 by breathing contaminated air versus touching a contaminated surface. 
In most cases, normal cleaning with soap and water is enough to keep the odds of surface transmission low. Well, so I guess it really means we don't have to we don't have to Windex the tables every five minutes now. No, and maybe at some point in time we can have a product called 409 that we can actually buy at the store because I haven't seen it in about a year and a half. So there we go. That'd be great. That'd be great. So Ted, for me, that you is know how new. many churches that have wooden pews oh. with the finish that has been absolutely ruined by the cleaning yes. that uh, has gone on. I wonder if any of those churches are going to tell the CDC where they can take their study. Might be, uh, it might be time to lawyer up. There we yeah. go. You know, you ruined our benches. My yeah. gosh. But nonetheless, that is some good news. Have you heard about Anchor? I'm not talking about the one for a boat. This is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many more. You can make money for your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Blah, blah, blah. 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 Our guest today is a former Emmy Award-winning broadcaster whose Pink Slip tour, sorry, his broadcasting tour has included stops in Laredo, Cleveland, Minneapolis, Pittsburgh, and Seattle. After running out of media companies to hoodwink, <clears throat> rather, uh, he left broadcasting to pursue a master's degree and is now a lecturer at the University of Washington Foster School of Business and an adjunct faculty member at Washington State University's Edward R. Murrow College of Communication. When we identify our guest, you'll hear fainting across the world because nobody will believe that our guest's name is associated with Edward R. Murrow. He and his wife now live in Seattle, Washington, where they also own a very successful event company. Let's welcome Thor Tolo. Indeed. And who better qualified to lecture anybody than Thor Tolo? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm perfectly suited in my role, having been fired more often than the tailpipe of a 57 Chevy. So it's good to see you. Good to see you, Ken. Good to see you, sir. Does, Does Ted let you talk? Yeah. Once in a while, once okay. in a while. Cool. Yeah. Great to see you all. He, he, he's not worried about getting any conversation in here in this one. I don't think. <laughs> no, now, I want to, I want to point out one thing. Yes. We have two fourths of my wedding party on the show here at the moment. And either of them or both of them were moments from being selected uh, uh, adjunct best man, or or uh, you know, named <laughs> visiting, the best man. a visiting best man, like visiting, visiting best man, yes. as the best man assigned for the duty. 
arrived approximately 10 minutes after the ceremony was scheduled to start, but <laughs> I digress. So, uh, Thor, uh, how is life after broadcasting? Well, it's, it's uh, fulfilling. Not that broadcasting wasn't, because it was. But I think, ultimately, I love... Well, the, you know, the glib one-liner is shaping young minds for the future, but kidding aside, I, what I love most is actually sharing my experiences, not all of which have been positive, not all of which have been what you would consider a typical run on the resume, but by the same token, I, I actually share uh, experiences I've gone through and how to overcome them and how to, once you excel at something, not be, not be content with it, as I you know, once anchored the Vikings network by way of quick example, and then did that for two years with my pal Darren Nelson, and then realized, you know what? I'm better suited sitting down for three uninterrupted hours on a radio show rather than uh, taking a commercial break every eight minutes talking about how this team's special team struggled in the, in the third quarter of a playoff game. I just like to talk about a universe of possible topics rather than just be whittled down to one team. Although I must tell you, that was a dream come true for me, hosting an NFL postgame show. So, Oh my gosh, I can only imagine. So yeah. obviously, Thor, I got to know you obviously through Ted, but obviously as a little bit of a younger person, obviously experience you on WKYC, obviously experiencing you doing the, uh, obviously one of the most famous talk shows. One of the ones that I really enjoyed was totally on Tolo and Tapia, obviously mm -hmm. talk about maybe some of the experiences you had in Cleveland. What's some of the highlights from your career here and what are the things that you remember the most? Oh, abs absolutely. And you'll note who had top billing on the Tolo and Tapia. Uh, <laughs> I, I would later, I would later go on with, the current uh, NBC Sunday Night Football reporter, Michelle Tafoya, I co-hosted a show with her uh, in Minneapolis at, K K at the Vikings flagship, which, to be clear, was not titled Tafoya and Tolo. So I've, I've had a good run, but uh, kidding aside, Ken, I appreciate the question. I've, after nearly four years at Channel 3 and then one year with Paul Tapier, who is absolutely brilliant as an impersonator and all of those things, I think what, what I learned most of all is that while preparation is paramount, it is also true that you have to fly by the seat of your pants. And when you have an improv artist like Paul Tapier, and you have, uh, for those, I'm sure everybody knows who he is, but he was the TV host of Cash Explosion years ago and has become a, uh, quite the radio legend there in Cleveland. But when you have somebody like that who's so easy to work with and is so willing to be the one who doesn't get the laugh, but by the same token, behind the scenes, giving you ideas on how to get the audience to laugh, my biggest takeaway is how being selfless as a co-host on radio or even on television can really make a show succeed. And, and to have that show do as well as it did in the 25 to 54 age demographic, when I was 30 and 31 and Tapia was not yet 40, is really a tribute to more to Paul than, than myself. And I think what, you know, in TV, you, you have to have some semblance of an ego to even do it for, you know, three and a half or four years, let alone Donovan, who's been doing it now for what, 35 years? So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's, that's remarkable. Another, another key takeaway or lesson I learned is that um, when you are pouring yourself into what your passion is, and for me, that was the NFL, and then you have somebody like Tapia, a huge baseball fan, don't look at that as a kind of a conflict of, of, of interests, in plural, conflict of interests. Rather, look at it as a way to, to really broaden the horizon or the scope of what can appeal to the audience. And I think you, the more you do that and the less concerned you are with who's getting all the glory and who's getting all the airtime, I'm reminded of what my late father would always say, the less, the less you talk, the better you sound. And so uh, that's ironic given that that advice was given to me, right, Ted? Uh, uh, but, well, <laughs> by the, but, but by the same token, I've, I, I'm still getting better at it, or at least trying. You know, 
they, they say the smarter, smarter the person, the less they speak. So, yes, uh, that's uh, you know, better, you. better be quiet and thought of as a fool than to speak right out and erase all doubt, right? Yes. Do you have any sayings of your own? No, thank you. I don't. But you mentioned the NFL, yes. Thor. I'm just going to keep right yes. on rolling here. Yes. What do you What do you think of the Browns here at the moment? They've made some interesting oh. offseason moves. You're a big football fan. Tell yep. us what your thoughts are on the Browns. Well, I think I think you know. Uh, Stefanski was a, what made it such a brilliant hire is they didn't stereotypically go after the person who has had head coaching experience. We've seen that backfire so many times. Pete Carroll is an exception here in Seattle where I sit with you uh, for this podcast. But I, I will, I will add to that. What I saw in Pittsburgh in that, in that playoff game a couple months ago was literally in the literal sense of the word breathtaking. I mean, I couldn't believe the pure and utter domination from the start. It reminded me of the first Browns game I ever covered, having moved from Laredo up north to Cleveland. They were at Three River, old Three River Stadium in Pittsburgh, and Bud Carson's coaching debut, and the Browns blanked the Steelers 51 0. This was the first time in 32 years I had ever had that sense of, are you kidding me, as I watched an NFL game. They're, they're the real deal. They're not going anywhere, the Browns. No, I, I agree. And obviously, you can speak to both sides because you did some time in Pittsburgh as well, covering, you know, mm-hmm. there's certainly the Steelers and all that. So it yep. had to be interesting now because, let's be honest, for many years, they talked about a rivalry. There wasn't one because the Browns just weren't very good and they didn't win games. And now it seems like that has changed. Have you noticed that yourself as maybe the, the spectrum of the two teams and where things are at, that maybe the tides are turning a bit? Yeah, I think Ben Roethlisberger may wind up being, you know, heaven forbid if you're a Steelers fan. And But but I'm just saying uh, he might end up being the the Joe Willie Namath or maybe even the Roman Gabriel of, of, of NFL postmodern. I mean, because uh, hanging on too long. I, know, I, I realize that he keeps saying he's not doing it for the money, which reminds me of the old saying, uh, you know, if you say it's not about the money, it is. But I, I really think the Steelers are making a mistake by not building for the future. More to, and, and as an aside, it was 20 years ago this week that PNC Park opened with their, their uh, pretty spectacular view from the park uh, in downtown Pittsburgh. But morphing the two ideas together and understanding that that rivalry took a major hit as everyone listening now to us knows when they moved out of, uh, when the Browns left Cleveland for Baltimore, uh, hard to believe that's over 25 years ago, but when they came back and they, and the league allowed them correctly to, you know, re-inherit the nickname and keep all of the career statistics and so on and so forth. I was standing on the sidelines with a pass, watching Drew Carey at the 50-yard line, shouting into that microphone. I'll never forget it. It was the first weekend, a uh, uh, Sunday night game, was it, or Monday? I think it was a Sunday night game, September of 1999. And I remember just being completely overwhelmed by how, cl- how, how could this have happened, that the Browns, the flippin' Browns could be allowed by anybody, and the late Steelers owner Dan Rooney voted against the move, could actually leave this incredible city uh, to go to Maryland. It's just beyond belief to me. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, unbelievable that, that, that they allowed that to happen. It's still uh, – you ask anybody in Cleveland, uh, before that move, should Art Modell go into the Hall of Fame? Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Now – <laughs> no way. Right. Jose. Well, if they're going to let the Astros keep their uh, their World Series trophy from a couple <laughs> years ago, why, why can't Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? That's my that's right, my, uh, right, right. Yes. But I digress. And by the way, did I ever actually answer Ken's question? I'm still, um, I'm not well, sure I answered his question. You talked a lot. I don't know. We'll give you. <laughs> um, I think so, you know, yes. 
you've known Ted for quite a while and he's okay. done this to me. So I've had yeah. people that we've had on a podcast that have had, uh -huh. Hey, do you have any good Ken stories? So I'm going to ask this to you, Thor, as I know mm -hmm. you know Ted very well. Do you have any very good Ted Klopp stories? Well, you're going to make me tear up because the Ted Klopp story I have isn't, isn't amusing, but I, I will. Is it okay to not be funny? Yeah. Please. Or as, <laughs> as mayor Giuliani once said to the Saturday night live crew, right after nine 11, when Saturday night live returned to, to the air, they said, well, why would you start being funny now? But, but <laughs> Kidding aside, five years ago, I flew to Cleveland to cover the GOP convention. I'm uh, nothing, not betraying any political persuasion here. I'm a fiscal conservative, but, uh, uh, you know, I'm a proud, uh, a proud voter in this country, but that doesn't mean um, we vote for everybody who represents the party. But I was there for this experience of covering the political convention, period. And this is five years ago. At the same time, unbeknownst to me, uh, Ted's father was a wonderfully sweet man who I got to know very, very well, was uh, in, in the hospital and then in a care home. And I spent virtually no time at the convention and almost every hour of the daylight uh, with Ted, with his father in that, in that place where that following weekend he would, he would draw his last breath. And I got to tell you, there was been nothing more powerful to me than spending that time with a true, loyal, grateful friend like Ted. And at the same time, understanding that sometimes our plans will go off the beaten path. And I believe for a, uh, for a more divine reason, because uh, there was nothing more powerful to me than seeing that love between father and son and to, and to be there when Ted held his dad's hand for the last time. That was, that that's, was amazing. So that's yeah. a great story. That really is. Well, that's uh, I don't, I don't have a joke that I can pull out to, uh, <laughs> Other than to say thank you for the kind words and thank you for being there. Uh, I'm, I know he was glad that you were there uh, as well. And uh, I know you had some interesting experiences when you did make it down to the convention, but uh, yes, thank you yes, very much. Yes, I and, did. And I, and by the way, I'm assuming this is good for a dinner check now. So if you could pick yes, the next absolutely. one up that, for yes. the first time in memory, that would be great. Yeah, right. We won't okay. go down. Uh, we won't go down. I, I will leave you with this story. Or also, also yes. knew my mother. Oh uh, boy. Oh boy. It oh, was yes. way back to <laughs> the early nineties. Yes. And, uh, my mother in, uh, two in, uh, 95 or 90, 95 had a stroke and was mm -hmm. in the intensive care unit and Thor sent her a get well card addressed to Marilyn Klopp bed 39 peekaboo. I see you Cleveland <laughs> clinic. Because I've never been. <laughs> I do and, remember that, Ted. She yes. was a glorious woman. Yes. And yes. she she saved the envelope for that card. I think she saved the envelope and not the card. I believe it's in the Smithsonian, if I'm not mistaken. I, well, it might yes. be. It might yes. be in the polo wing. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, uh, hey, Thor, can we get you to uh, stick around and play a little game time with us? Oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, uh, me and Odell Beckham, we got a lunch date, so hurry up. Yeah, cool. <laughs> The most trusted name in journalism, Klopp's Clips. All right, Ken, news of a different kind for you now as we drop into this week's collection of Klopp's Clips. A Michigan home inspector facing charges after he apparently deliberately Got himself tickled by Elmo, oh boy. the doll. If that sounds inappropriate, it's probably because it is. 59-year-old Kevin Van Leuven was inspecting a property prior to sale when a webcam caught him with Elmo 
Uh, Van Leuven initially said he simply moved the doll to check an electrical outlet, but when he was told there was a camera in the room, investigators say he then made some incriminating comments and apologized. Oh, man. Keep your Elmo stuff to yourself. Jeez Louise. Come on, man. <laughs> Leave Elmo alone. He's just Good trying to keep gracious. kids happy. Well, a University of Kentucky problem. A, they say a technical snafu there caused them to send a half million acceptance emails to high school seniors. A half million. And this isn't for the entire incoming class. No, this is just for a program that usually accepts about three dozen students. Many of the students who received the email say they never replied to the school nor visited the school's website. Some said they'd never heard of the University of Kentucky. UK did follow up with an apology email. We are so sorry. Disregard the information you received. It's a bug. Something happened. Yeah. Not sure what, but something happened. A report from the website Politico says an online gamer was able to pretend to be a White House reporter and ask questions of the president's press secretary. The unidentified person claims to work for the non-existent White House News. That's the agency claimed here as a profile under the name Casey Lego Montague. The gamer is believed to be active on Roblox, where users call themselves Legos. The person was apparently unhappy with the way press members were asking questions. Because of COVID, it is not uncommon for credentialed reporters to ask questions for other reporters. This whole scenario has happened at least four times. Because <laughs> this is the White House Correspondents Association is in charge of seating and access to the White House briefing room. So, oh my God, Legos in the briefing room, please. Well, out four times. I no wonder more. if my son, who plays Roblox quite a bit, can get in on that and ask a question. I don't know. As we know, people are very good with technology and can do amazing <laughs> things. Who knows? Your son could be talking to the, the presidential secretary. Yeah. It happened. Yeah. Well, a woman in Texas recently got her fingernails cut. Now, this is significant because it's the first time her nails have been cut in almost 30 years. Oh, man. Ayana Williams is the Guinness World Record holder for the longest nails. Before having them trimmed, they were a combined 24 feet, one inch. Your nails are 24 feet, one inch. The nails, after being cut off, are now headed to the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum in Orlando. He does plan to grow her nails out again, but apparently not that long. She did note that she did have some trouble with some daily activities around the house when really long nails were a part of her. Well, that's surprising. I, I <laughs> yeah. never would have guessed that. That's, <laughs> that's really interesting. Wow. You ever uh, seen anybody with particularly long nails? Does Aon have long nails? No, and I've oh. never seen anybody with 24 feet, one inch no. long nails. No, no that's, that's uh, no. Well, well, we'll put a picture of that up on Twitter because I know that of all the things you want to see, that's it. That's the one. There's yeah. No all right. Well, that's this week's collection of Klopp's Clips. All right. It's time to get in the ring with Steve Muehlhausen from DAZN, our, uh, the wrestling reporter for that website who has 
been kind enough to join us here on Two Middle-Aged Men in Cleveland. Steve, WrestleMania 37 in the books and a unique show to say the least. We had rain, we had people slipping on the, the entrance ramp and all kinds of things that just normally we had announcers in ponchos at one point. Um, this, this was a very unique show. Am I, is it fair to say? Absolutely. And before we start, I have to give you guys credit. I love the name of the pot, this podcast. When you, you, you guys reached out yesterday, I'm like, I went to my wife. I'm like, you know, I'm a Chicago White Sox fan. I'm not supposed to like nothing from Cleveland, but you know what? I love the name of this podcast. I'm like, you know what? Let's rock and roll. So I, I, I appreciate that. that. I had That's to awesome. say that. I had to say that right away. I thought that was fantastic. Thank but you. go like you, like you guys said, we've seen it all. We've seen rain. We've seen wind. We've seen lightning. People slipping, walking down the ramp. We've seen ponchos. We've seen ponchos covering the announce desk. All we needed was a hurricane, and I think it would have been complete considering we were in Tampa and just considering first live show with fans for WWE in over 13 months. So it couldn't have started any worse, but it ended up being a very good weekend for the company. Steve, the question I have, and been a wrestling fan for a long time, obviously probably not as knowledgeable as yourself. That's why we have you on. But it seems like the new concept with WrestleMania is to go to this two-day event. Back in uh, WrestleMania 35, they had everything in one day, and now they've gone to two-day event. How are fans reacting to that? And what, what are your thoughts on that? That's a great question. And every fan I fans I've talked to, email, tweet, you name it, and – the reaction's been great because especially in, in terms of media, it's fantastic too. Just because like you brought up, you brought up WrestleMania 35. I was there in New York and great show, a historic show, but it was over seven hours long. And it's like, that is a long time. <laughs> I love wrestling. Yeah, you right. guys love wrestling. You know, I cover <laughs> MMA and boxing and pro wrestling for a living. And I've never had to cover a seven hour show for either of those sports as well. And it's like, Oh my God. I'm like, it's, I'd rather watch paint dry in my yeah, right. house than have to go through that. The two days is great because it's, and they timed it out well. Each show was right around three hours. You got in, you got out. You had to kick off show, okay, four hours. We were talking in terms of matches, yeah, three hours. All the talent got time. Instead yeah. of getting like five minutes, they're getting 10, 15, 20 minutes, which they're getting to tell their story. The crowd's getting behind them. And they get to put on the show. These guys and girls work all year for one, for this moment. They should get more than a couple minutes. But I do have bad news for you, Ken. And the two-day thing is ending, my friend. Oh, I do. I do really? apologize, Ken. I do apologize to you guys. And it's going back next year when they go to Dallas. I did talk to people in WWE yesterday and <laughs> that – the party train on that, unfortunately, is over, and it's going to be back to the seven, eight-hour marathon WrestleMania. So what's their thought process on going back to the one day? The only thing I was told, Ted, was just because there's you're going to have 100,000 people. They're going to AT&T yeah. Stadium next year, the home of the Dallas Cowboys, and their, their feeling is, and I think it feels like the feeling of the world right now, is that by the time we get to next April – the world's going to be completely different and the stadiums are going to be packed. The stadiums are going to be and the arenas are going to be rocking with 
with all the hardcore football fans, wrestling fans, and everything in between. So that's their mind process behind that right now. Could it change? Sure. But their running idea as of yesterday was going back to one day. So you had the two days of matches, Steve. I obviously had the opportunity to see all the matches. In your opinion, what was the top match that you saw from WrestleMania? I mean, many people are certainly talking about the women's championship, Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks. That was a highlight as well as Edge and Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan, that three-way match. Those are some of the top ones that people are talking about. What's the one, in your opinion, that maybe was the best? It was the first one you said, Ken, and it, because it had such a historical significance. And, and it's so unfortunate, and, and it boggles my mind in the fact that you had Bianca Belair, Sasha Banks, SmackDown Women's title on the line in the main event of night one. And the first time ever for WWE in their in wrestling's premier annual event, two women going at it one-on-one. We had the three-way, you talked about earlier, Becky Lynn, Tronda Rousey, Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania 35. But now you had just two women going one-on-one, and add on top of that, they were two African-American women. You know, it's historical, you know, but it's also, I feel like it's sad in a way, and I'll bring that up in a minute, but historical significance of it made it fantastic. The fact that they went out and they just smashed it. They, the match was great. It went the right amount of time. You had them crying before the match even started. It's like, how do you not get emotionally, how do you not feel that? I felt it just watching and I'm working and I'm like, man, I think I need to get the Kleenex. (laughs) just how emotional it really was and i'm like you know and you see and i imagine you know you look at kids and that's gonna mean a lot you see young girls and they're gonna look at and young boys and they're gonna be like man like girls can do it too girls can do anything just as well as men or and or better in my estimation and i'm not just saying that i've always felt that way but it's also sad because this stuff like this should have already been happening they shouldn't have been just, hey, this is now finally going to happen after 37 WrestleMania. We're in the 37th edition of WrestleMania. It's pretty ridiculous if you ask me because these are two premier athletes and we're still judging things on gender and we're judging things by the color of your skin. Yeah, well said, Steve. Yep. Well said. I'm not trying to make this uh, equality no, in, our, in, right. a, in, a, in a race thing. You know, I'm half I'm – half, Mexican and I thought it was great but I don't look at it as I'm Mexican I look at it as I'm a human being just like everybody else's and to see that was great it was fantastic it was historical hopefully we don't have to continue to have that conversation because now it should be we're all human beings we all put our pants on one leg at a time and it doesn't matter what the color of our skin is or the gender that we are well said well said This WrestleMania stuck out to me uh, for the first time that I can recall there were no, for lack of a better term, nostalgia acts, nostalgic matches. There was no uh, old timers, for lack of a better term. And I know we're talking about guys that are in their 40s, maybe 50s, but there were no older established guys even doing cameos other than for the Hall of Fame. Did that surprise you? It did. (laughs) <laughs> it was when they were the build was going and i'm like okay we're gonna we had to see somebody mm-hmm. i'm like okay yeah we got hulk hogan as the co-host but hulk hogan's long and gone and not ever getting back in the ring but 
it was a breath of fresh air. Because I know I, I talk to talent and they and they get frustrated because it's like we're the ones here all year. We're the ones getting in the rental cars, making the towns, working our butts off three, four days, sometimes five days a week. And it's like, and then these people just stroll right in, strut their stuff, and they get more money than we do. And <laughs> it's like, so it's like, it's a sense of frustration, but I think it also shows that it, to me, it showed two things. It showed the fact that the talent can do this without the part-time acts. Because yep. like you said, we, we're all pro wrestling fans. We all remember Stone Cold Steve Austin. We remember The Rock. We remember Bill Goldberg. We love Brock Lesnar, John Cena, The Rock. We love all them. Don't get me wrong. But you got to let this new talent shine. And I think this helped tremendously. But if we flip it around, play the contrarian part for a moment, the interest just wasn't there. It was there in night one to a point. And I thought night one outshined night two just in terms of interest. Is looking at Google Trends, looking at all the numbers. The select, but those numbers were down too for both days. The words oh, much, much higher, right around like probably triple of what it should be. Instead of one number, it should have been a whole lot higher than what it ended up being. So that part they missed, but I would rather have them take the hit now because you can build that later. You're trying to build new stars, trying to build a new Steve Austin's the new rocks, Hulk Hogan's of that nature. I'm glad they went this route because you have to build for the future sometime, or you're not going to be getting all these billion dollar TV and streaming deals. That's, <laughs> Steve, that's very well said. I appreciate you saying that too, because that was one of the first things that I noticed besides seeing Hulk Hogan. Now, one guy that's been around for a while, and I must say, we like to talk about odd things. So I think the oddest match of the entire WrestleMania <laughs> was one of Randy Orton and The Fiend. Can you explain oh, what that was all about and what that was? That was Ken, just oddness, man. That was Ken, Ken, I don't know what the heck we saw. And I've been, I've been wrapping my head around that for a couple of days, and I've been jumping on different podcasts and doing different radio, radio hits. And I get asked this question every time, and I'm like, I wish I knew. Because this was one of the most hyped matches on the show. This has been a story that's been playing out since – right around like November and they burned the fiend. So it's like in December. So you're like, okay, he's going to take some time. We'll see him at mania, which is exactly what happened. Got a ton of hype. It was on first. The matches that matter at WrestleMania are first. And then the main event, whatever the main events are. This was on first on the second night. And I'm like, this is not going to be good because this match is going to be horrible. There's no (laughs) way this match can be good. The entrance of the fiend was worthy of the main event or the opening match or yeah. being the opener. After that, it was a pure dumpster fire. Yep. Unfortunately, I and I, I, and I see you laughing, Ted, but it's I, I hate saying True. it, but it is the truth. Unfortunately, and it stunk. It made no sense to match. I said like five minutes. It's like man, this guy's coming out in the the cool entrance, and then yep. he's in the comes out of the rises out of the jack in the box, and I'm like, all right, this is great, and. It's pretty cool. And then we saw what we saw and, and the crowd definitely let WWE know how they felt about it. They were not very thrilled with what they saw, but I I don't know that I, you know, there, there are periodically times when I think I never thought I'd hear these words in this order in a sentence, but never did I think I'd see 
a female wrestler in WWE uh, oozing black goo, for lack of a better term. I don't, I don't, I, that was, uh, I started, I have not watched the whole show yet, but I'm watching it, you know, and I'm, I'm, I started to glance through that this morning and I just was like, <laughs> what, what is going on here? But one other thing I wanted to touch on real quick, the production always fascinates me. They are second to none when it comes to live event production. Absolutely. I'm just wondering what your thoughts were on the production, given the weather situation, the smaller crowd that they had to deal with, but they did a great job. Uh, the, the crowd was very dimly lit, so you couldn't really see that there were a lot of empty seats, which I thought was brilliant. I'm wondering what your thoughts were. You know, their production, you hit it on the head at the beginning, Ted. Their production is second. And in terms of live event production, they're on another level compared to, compared to the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NHL, the UFC, anything we see in soccer. It's the best. And that's a testament to Vince McMahon. Because the presentation is so important. It really is. You always, the presentation gives you that that big aura gives you that big match feeling, big fight feeling, however you want to term it. I thought I liked the fact they were tight with the shots because you only, they sold out both nights and that's a testament to them. They sold over 25,000 tickets both nights. You had a crowd of over 51,000 for two days. That couldn't have worked out any better for them. I thought the way they did that was actually pretty good. That's actually, it's very smart because they really didn't say how many people were in the crowd each night. Usually they taunt, Hey, we got 102,222 or something along that line. But the way they, I thought they handled that was great. The only thing I hate about their production, and this has been going on for a while is the nonsensical camera cuts every two seconds, stay on the shot, let it breathe. Then you yeah, go. Then if you need to need to pan out, you need to tell, you need to do a jump. Then go ahead and do it. You need to switch cameras. Go ahead, but it's like every two seconds I see a, a new camera cut. It's like we don't need camera jumps every few seconds. Yeah. Beyond that, a plus plus in terms of yeah. production. I I agree with you on everything you said. I noticed the same thing. Well, if folks want to uh, read your your columns, see your I know you have a um, underneath your results. On the zone, you have a kind of an ongoing blog yep. as you were watching the show. So give us the website. Tell us where we can follow you and uh, read your information on wrestling and MMA and boxing. Let's go to the zone.com. Very simple. We've got everything boxing, MMA. Finally, I convinced the zone that it's mainly they're a boxing outfit, but they have some, they own some rights out in Europe for the UFC and stuff. So we cover a lot of UFC and this was the trial run for pro wrestling, and it seemed to be – we have a pro wrestling outfit on the zone, too. We have Major League Wrestling, and they're absolutely fantastic. But now we're going more full tilt because that's been doing well, and now after this weekend we're going full bore more into wrestling. So just go to thezone.com. It's pretty simple. It's a one-stop shop, and catch everything there. We've got tons of cool stuff coming up. I NXT Women's Champion Raquel Gonzalez, I will have a piece up on her. I was working on it. Right before I talk to you guys. So that'll be up later today. That's awesome. awesome. Well, thank you very much, Steve. We appreciate your insight. And uh, hopefully we can chat again soon about uh, some happenings in the ring. Absolutely. And go Indians and White Sox. 
<laughs> I'll give Indians the love because you guys are great. So thank you guys so much for the help. Thank you guys today. Thank you very much and talk to you guys soon. Ted Klopp here for Westminster AV. You've heard me talk about their top-notch rental services, but don't take my word for it. Here are some Google reviews. The Ohio Society of Association Executives says not only do they meet every need we have, they anticipate additional services and requests that we have had and are always prepared. The Westside Catholic Center says the elements they added to our event enhanced every aspect of the evening. Very easy to work with, incredibly knowledgeable, and made adjustments on the fly. Whether you are planning a virtual or an in-person event, Westminster AV should be your first call for dependable, professional, audiovisual equipment rentals. Call today, 216-325-6960. Again, the number, 216-325-6960. for our game time segment with professor and Emmy award-winning broadcaster Thor Tolo. His opponent is known as the guy, according to his wife, that leaves the toilet seat up. Ted Klopp. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> I've heard. Okay. Today's game should bring back some great memories for our guest, Thor. Our game is called Who Am I? Oh boy, here we go. We'll give you four oh, different oh boy. Here clues we go. of a person. Hey, hey here we go. Here we're we're not going to take any phone go. calls, and we don't need to tell anybody to turn the radio down, do we? Yes, well, just like the morning show we did then, no phone calls. All right, go ahead. Let's do it. I will give you four different clues of a person connected to <laughs> okay. Following the clues, you will have three multiple choice options. After three rounds, whoever has the most correct right. guesses is the winner, of course. You can both have the same answers, obviously. Right. The right. winner will receive a great prize, a team picture, and also a championship ring from the 1994 World Series. So wow. it's a great prize. As you both know, there wasn't a champion in 1994. Right. It was a short <laughs> season. Yep. So this makes this item priceless. Oh, sure. Here we go. All right. All right. We we'll go. go to round number one. I was a 6'9 power forward and center that graduated from Central Michigan College and had my jersey retired in 1977. I was a second round pick for the Detroit Pistons and played professional basketball from 1977 to 1990, including four years with the Cavs. I had my best season playing for the Utah Jazz in 1979, averaging nine points and six rebounds. My most notable stat in my career is that I led the NBA in fouls committed in 1980, committing 342 fouls. Do I get to just shout out the answer when I know? Or you do can. I have to wait? Or should I okay, wait? Let me, I wait? I have one more clue. Okay. One okay. more clue. My head coaches in Cleveland were George Carl, Gene Littles, and Lenny Wilkins. Mm -hmm. Thor, you have an answer before have... the multiple choice? Oh, that's right. It's multiple choice. You'd think I'd have that down as a, a distinguished professor in the Murrow no School of Communications. Yes. Yes. Get your scan so <laughs> Yes, Go ahead. Here's the multiple choice answer. Right. Bill Hubbard. Mark West, John Bagley, or Ben Poquette? Oh, can we hear those again? Sure. Phil Hubbard, Mark West, John Bagley, or Ben Poquette? I'm going Poquette. Ted? I have no idea. I'm going to go with John Bagley. Yep. Listen to Thor. It's Ben Poquette. Yep. There, there you, you go. go. There you go. 
Pirouette Phuket, they called him. That's not true. I just wanted to sound like I was plugged in. <laughs> All right. Pirouette. One nothing already. Yes. <laughs> yep. Here we go. Round two. Yep. I was born in Frankfurt, Germany, and graduated from Baylor University. Wow. Following All-American year at Baylor, I was drafted in the second round of the supplemental draft and played for the USFL for two seasons, which I played for the San Antonio Gunslingers and Houston Gamblers as a receiver. I started playing the NFL in 1986, in which I played for the Cleveland Browns until 1989, Uh. and then played for the Houston Oilers in 1990. I was named to the Pro Bowl in 1987 and had a popular nickname. I also had the distinction of having something peculiar, peculiar, let's try that again, having something peculiar about my body. Who am I? Now, how does this work? Do I just jump in or does Ted go first now? What is? Well, Ted goes first this time, but let me okay. give you the multiple choice. Oh, yeah, that's okay. right. Eric Metcalf. Hang on. Gerald McNeil, Reggie Langhorn, or Brian Brennan? Ted? It's Gerald McNeil, 100%. Final answer, Regis. Four? I have to agree. That is correct. Gerald McNeil, who was yep. at 5'7", 140 pounds. What was his nickname, Thor? 5'7", uh, buck 40. Yeah, what was his nickname? I have no, I have no idea. I thought that was it. It was the Ice Cube. Oh, the Ice Cube. Remember, this predates my time in Cleveland. Yes, it does. That's it just does. for the record. Just for the record. Yes, yes. Yes. Now, the funny thing about him is that he would lose weight throughout the season. but So by the end of the year, and I want you to envision this now, by the end of the year, he would weigh only 125 pounds. Wow. That is. That's insane. That's that crazy. is amazing. That's more that's, bag, that's more baggage than I brought to WKNR. But let's move forward. <laughs> All right. Let's All right. So we have two to one. Ask Jim. Is, this is round three. Here we go. Okay. Okay. I was born in Inglewood, California, and played Major League Baseball from 1986 to 1994 for five different teams. Wow. I was a three-time All-American for BYU and once hit three homers on three consecutive pitches in my first game. I was part of the Olympic baseball team in 1984 and played for the Cleveland Indians from 1986 to 1990, in which I was a pitching prospect and an infielder and then moved to the outfield. I was traded to the White Sox in 1990, but my best season with the Indians, I hit 236 with 33 homers and 82 RBIs. Now, following my playing career, I coached independent baseball and was a hitting coach in AAA and AA. I was the fourth American manager ever to win a Mexican League championship and i also manage a chinese professional team i have a son playing in the minors for the rockies and my daughter amberly is the subject of a netflix film called walk ride rodeo following an automobile crash that paralyzed her Mm. in 2010 who am i is this brett butler Corey snyder carmen castillo or mel hall thor you get to guess give me the names once more brett butler Corey Snyder, Carmen Castile, or Mel Hall? And again, this is before Thor's time in No, Cleveland. no, no, actually it's not. I was there, oh. I came in early 89. Part no, of it that's, was. That's but, what I said. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I came after the firing of the Schottenheimer brothers. Uh, mm-hmm. oh. I, I was first in the country, as I stole for the correct answer, to report the hiring of Bill Belichick, but I digress. It was two years later. I'm going to go, uh, the White Sox is a, is a telling clue. I'm going to say Castillo. Herman Castillo. Ted? This is, this, okay, I'm going to go with, uh, I think it's either Mel Hall or Corey Snyder, and yeah, I'm going to go with right. Corey Snyder. Sometimes you just 
I don't know where you get this from. Corey Snyder is correct. Yes. Oh my Man gosh. Yes. 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 I am reduced to mortality. That's uh well, wow. Corey, yes. You know, we have a tie. The guest always wins on our show. So congratulations. Yes. <laughs> yes. We will send you the ring and the obviously the, the picture of the ninety-four World Series winner. I yes. Know be one of your top well, coach. that that means a lot. Footnote on O'Neill: He would often be more wide open than a Denny's, twenty-four-seven. Uh, you know. <laughs> so, anyway, funnier in my head. I, I really, I always, I always like to finish on a high point. So, yes. there we go. <laughs> let, let me know when we get there. Oh, uh, so, yes. so hey, uh, before we let you go, yeah. uh, little known fact: so a couple yes. little known facts about Thor that I know. Do you still have a copy of your? Uh, birth certificate in your wallet to prove your name? Yes, I, I do. Yes. And I have I have the NHL rule book I use to get, okay, into, well, the that's, Penguins, yes. to get into the Penguins playoff game as a supervisor of officials without yes. any ID with me. That's so right. he carries, carries a copy of his birth certificate with now here's this yes. is a unique ability. I don't know what this is called, right? But Thor, if we take if A is one and Z is 26. Oh, cryptic analysis. Yes. What is it called? It's called cryptic analysis, cryptic but, analysis. Yeah, but human beings aren't perceived to do this. They're not okay. perceived. It's a computer right. term. It's a computer term. Cryptic. So analysis. I'm going to come up with a uh, a word or a couple names, and yeah, then Ken can do the same. Thor, oh, on the spot, is going to be able to give us the numerical value the sum if, if each the, letter yes. is assigned that specific uh, number. You know, A is one b is two all the way up to to z, z? is 26. this okay. is any any name or any, any name word? any word whatever and here's right, what here i'm gonna go. go with go ahead here's, ted uh, since you're in seattle thor yes go with one of the most well-known seattle mariners ichiro suzuki thank you that would be 62 for ichiro and it would be uh, 87, 97, 107 for Suzuki for a grand total of 169. That's a rather high, lofty number for a person with only 12 letters combined in their in their name. But yes, no, no, all kidding. I mean, not. I, I love to laugh, but I'm I'm serious as a double bypass. Uh, it is in fact 62, and because <laughs> I is the ninth letter of the alphabet. There's two I's in each row, so that's 18. A B C is three, that's 21. H is eight, that's 29. R is 18, that's 47, and O is 15. 47 plus 15 is, in fact, 62, which, by the, by the way, the year I was born, today is my birthday, was, in fact, the week they opened the Space Needle, uh, which is right behind me. So, Holy cow. So yeah, this is too many brainwaves. I at, can't at even think of a name, at the let alone trying to figure that out. How about, why don't you give him <laughs> Ken Dworznik? I don't I know if he's going to say Ken Dworznik. Ken, Ken is 30, and I'm assuming it's D-W-O-R-Z-N-I-K. That's yes, correct. Sir. All right. Uh, that would be... 86, 96, 120, uh, which is 14 less than xylophone, but I digress. So uh, Dworznik would boom. Yeah, if you take the D, the W-O-R-Z-N-I-K, that is in fact 120. Uh, and then uh, it got to the point where, and Ken is 30. K is the 11th letter of the alphabet. E is the fifth. N is the 14th. 11 plus 5 plus 14 is 30. Uh, it got to the point where people would spit out a number, like they'd go 100 and I'd say telephone. But don't be under the false impression that I've memorized. Well, first off, I can memorize people giving me a number and then I and then I matching it up with a word. Although I, I haven't done that memorization with the exception of xylophone and telephone. But 
What you can't fake is somebody out of the blue giving you a word and then yeah. you matching it with a number. That's why, that's why when I qualified in the preliminary cut for David Letterman's stupid human tricks back when he was on CBS and I was in Laredo in 1987, the reason I didn't get the nod to actually appear on the show is because no national television audience watching David Letterman on CBS back in the late 80s would be able to know for sure that there wasn't a plant in the audience that Letterman was calling on to give a word or a name and for me to add it up, right? The assumption would be, given how rare, a, uh, you know, how rare this is, this ability, which is just that, it's just a gift I got. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, there'd be no way to prove that the audience person standing up to say the word wasn't a plant by the CBS production crew. So that's oh why I wasn't, a, I, but I would have made it on the show otherwise. That was have you done this your whole life? Is this something you've done your whole life? In, in second grade, I looked up, Oh and I'll, re I'll remember the number in my classroom in, in, uh, at a small elementary school, Cora B. Darling Elementary. And without thinking, I remember saying to myself, wow, there's 37 tiles up there. And I didn't think much of it until a week or two later, I, told, uh, I mentioned to the teacher, hey, did you notice we have 37? And she goes, how do you know that? And I explained to her, and she, she was just, her mind was bent. And I, you know, this isn't some superhuman ability. As God gives each of us a gift. You know, that's one that I'm aware of. So I'm aware of no others. <laughs> by, by the way, but that's that's I, just I, yeah I'm that's impressed. something i can count the so how rare is that do you know how do you know how rare that is to be Ooh. able to do that rare rare enough for a prestigious podcast like yours to bring it up i mean yes uh, yeah, thank you a, but thank uh, you know, sir but you know i don't know how many people that should, that are tuning in right now have even heard of of this so i'm you know cryptic analysis i suppose is the closest art the, the name of that, uh, what's the word? This uh, science, I guess, the mind science is the closest I can come up with. I'm free, I'm open to being fact-checked as we learned at Channel 3. So, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> All right, Thor, well, congratulations. We'll have that yes. uh, 1994 World Series ring uh, on the way to you. And uh, yes. <laughs> thank you for being the mystery guest on our 50th podcast wow on wow that's remarkable and oh by the way because again i like a good uh, geographic event drop i was at game three of the 95 world series against the braves in the upper deck of jacobs field uh circa 1995 of literally no interest to anyone but i just wanted to close on that high note so <laughs> yes thank you for, for very much Cleveland! This is for you! Ted, one of your favorite segments this week in Cleveland history. We move to April 17th, 1999. Yeah. And with the first pick of the NFL draft, the Browns select Tim Couch for the new Cleveland Browns. Mr. Couch. What is yeah. your memories of Tim Couch? Well, I remember that, you know, he was highly sought after and the, the thinking then is as is the thinking now is it all starts with a quarterback. You got to have a quarterback. And we thought we had a quarterback and I would suggest that we may have had a quarterback, but because we were starting from scratch and the rest of the talent around him was so, I, I hate to, you know, these are professional football players, but the, the talent around him was so, subpar for lack of a better term yeah that i don't know that it's fair to judge tim couch by the stats that he put up because if he'd have had a decent line decent receivers decent running back decent anything he may have been a much different quarterback oh there is no doubt about that 
I mean, everyone was excited when they came back. And remember they had that, I don't even know what you want to call it, supplemental draft. It was a supplemental Browns. draft. I was there. Did you go to that? No kidding. I covered it for uh, WMFD. And who's the first pick that the Browns took for the supplemental draft? You know, the, I know the answer. Do you know I know the, you do. Go ahead and say it. Jim Pine. Jim Pine, the center. From the Detroit Lions. Yep. He came out and, uh, I, I mean, it was like, it was like Muhammad Ali walked in the room because <laughs> any any player associated with the Browns, oh, we got a player, yay! I mean, they could have they could have they could have brought out a second string long snapper and they would have gone bananas for him. My God, yeah, it was unique, classic, and obviously to go to and what, nothing against Jim Pine, obviously you know had played in the NFL for a yeah. while, but the line, as you mentioned, it was just decrepit. I mean, every time you would watch the first couple games, I mean, Tim couch was just getting torched. I mean, they start off with Ty Detmer, but then they moved to Tim couch after a while. Cause we got to get this going. And he was just getting destroyed. Now the funny part about Tim couch, you know, everybody kind of, I'm not going to say makes fun of him or kind of thinks of him in a different light. He is still the seventh all time leader in the Browns in touchdown passes. And by the way, He's the all-time leader in pass completion percentage at 59% for the Browns. That I is unbelievable. Know. I never would have guessed that. For all the different quarterbacks we've had, and obviously it's not been great, but we've had some good ones, you know, talking about Brian Seip and Otto Graham and obviously Bernie Kosar, but he's the all-time leader in pass completion percentage at 59%. Pretty impressive. Well, I was just going to say, we have to remember – that we still have the history from the old Browns. So this is all time Browns. This yep. isn't this since 99. Yep. This includes all those, you know, Otto Graham, Frank Ryan, Brian Seip, Bernie Kosar, all those guys too. That's amazing. Yeah. Unbelievable. My last, my last thought process on Tim couch. I was so excited when the Browns came back. And I think you remember this. They had the bobblehead in the new stadium that came from McDonald's. I ended up, I went to McDonald's and I was not a huge McDonald's guy at the guy at the time I was in Ashland and I went to the McDonald's and picked that up. And you would have thought they gave me the Super Bowl championship. I was just walking around like thing. I was so happy to have that. I still have it to this day. I still have it. My son has started collecting bobbleheads and that is one of his prized possessions. I'm not sure it's still all, uh, all the pieces are still there because we have some bobbleheads that have lost arms and, ears and things like oh, that. that happens We're yeah, terror, but, but sure. yeah the tim couch bobblehead in the stadium a big deal that was cleveland this is for you ken we're wrapping up episode 50 when we started this did you think those words would ever be said in that order no but the only time i've ever heard 50 is when i would get 50 uh, on tests at saint ignatius <laughs> high school that's the only 50 i usually have heard so. uh, like is my you, gosh you i will say this wrong? I could have sat there and just let you and Thor go the whole time and talk. <laughs> and I would have just sat there and laughed and laughed and laughed. My gosh, is that guy funny? Holy oh, God. he's a classic man. That was a, that was a complete pr- pleasure to talk to him. He brings back a lot of great memories from his time here in Cleveland. Obviously I've spent some time with him when, with your wedding and things like that. And uh, he is just a class guy and just a hilarious person. No doubt. That was great. Well, now you can tell Eowyn what the value of your name is. That's right. I'm going to have to write it down, but yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to be able to figure it out in my head. That is, you can just what text a skill that I'll is. I'll text you right back right away. I'll have the answer. That's unbelievable. Yeah. You can tell you, when he was doing it, obviously our people listening can't see, but when he was doing it, it's just like he would look to the sky yep. 
And he's like, okay, this is this, and this is this, and this is, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is insane. Yeah. He yeah. didn't write this down. This is no, all in his head. He didn't give him the words ahead of time. That no. was all right off the cuff. Completely. Yep. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, next week on the show, <laughs> DJ Kishka, Justin Gorski is going to join us. My Polish and brother. What? Who, what is DJ Kishka? Tell, tell us why, why we should listen next week to an interview with DJ Kishka. He's the king of the poles here in the fine Cleveland area. He, uh, he is kind of taken Polish music and made it popular. And then he's also one of the big reasons for all the excitement. We didn't necessarily have the same thing this year, but Dingus Day has been a big part of what he's been involved with, which is basically a Polish celebration the day after Easter where it's very similar for Polish people to celebrate, just like, you know, certainly the Irish do for St. Patrick's day and things like that. So for me, and I know my mom will be listening because this is like one of her <laughs> biggest fans. So I, I mean, she's a huge fan and, and loves to, to hear his music, but I look forward to talking to uh, Justin Gorski, uh, AKA DJ Kishka next week and very creative, very talented man. He's done a lot of different music and his music's a little different. And I look forward to people learning more about it next week. So your mother's going to listen, which means that our female demographic is probably going to double. Yes. Sir. <laughs> I think you're right. Ted. Yeah. Uh, well, before we go, any specific guests that come to mind when we talk about the last 50 episodes, is there one or two that you're like, wow, that was, that was awesome. I have to say the first one that comes to mind just because I've known him for such a long time and you have too. And he's kind of like one of the first people who really had the opportunity to talk to was John Tellich. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was so nice with us and just taking the time and he had to be looking at us like, what are these two doing? But obviously <laughs> he's such a class guy. And Ted, the other one that I really remember, and she was such a nice lady. And once again, she had to be looking at us like, <laughs> what am I going to be part of? But I think at the end, she really had a good time was Nawaka Owosa who was from the rock hall, the curator, she was outstanding. She was mm -hmm. just a blast to have on enjoyed the game and just gave us some great information. And this is right when the whole pandemic started to be. Yep. Honest with you. Absolutely. On. Absolutely. She was great. How about yourself? Well, for personal reasons, mainly because I covered the situation when it happened, it was awesome to catch up with Jory Abley, the young man who survived the gunshot wound to the head. Yep. And that's an amazing story. And to think that, he wound up marrying the young lady who he was supposed to go to that concert with and is doing so well nowadays. That was just a tremendous interview uh, for so many reasons. And I'm really glad we were able to catch up with him. That's the kind of thing that I like about this podcast is it gets us these opportunities to, to catch up with people, tell their story, let other people know what has happened and kind of, you know, catch up with people that maybe we haven't talked to in a long time as well. Yeah, absolutely. It makes it, it makes it fun. And between the two of us, we know so many different people, friends and family and things like that. It's, it's nice to do that. And it, for me, I mean, catching up, I mean, one other one I'll throw out there was certainly Eric Haddad from Shane rock to talk about, you know, everything with his son and his foundation and have the opportunity to promote that to other people that, I mean, it makes you feel good. It feels like you're doing something, you know what I mean? It's, uh, that was kind of cool. Absolutely. And you know, when we talk about wrestling, having Johnny paradise, every man's oh. nightmare, every woman's dream on the podcast. <laughs> was memorable to say the least. Absolutely. But uh, I've really enjoyed this, Ted. And obviously we're looking to continue. We have some other great guests coming up in the next couple of weeks. And uh, 
I think we're going to have to start talking about some more wrestling. You know, I honesty. think so. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was, that was fun. A uh, good way to reminisce and uh, think about kind of some of the ways wrestling used to be once in a while. Absolutely. Yep. Well, speaking of the way things used to be, do you remember how we used to close the show? I actually do remember that. I remember uh, saying we we're just, I believe two middle-aged men from Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Two middle-aged men in Cleveland is sponsored by anchor.fm. Everything you need to make a podcast in one place and by Westminster AV custom audio visual packages for all occasions.